0: It is really great to be back here with all of you this morning, and uh, kind of like Paul said, you know, when you when you take vacation, sometimes vacations aren't always the most relaxing time, right? Is that just me? Mm-hmm. Right. It's like suddenly like you're so uh, looking forward to getting away and spending some relaxing time. And then it can be whew, a little crazy and everything like that. So it's just wonderful to be back. And uh, I finished off. I mean, I was back here at the church this week, but I'm finishing off. If you follow me on social media, I usually use my uh, vacation time to do house renovations because we own, we bought an older house that needs a lot of love. And so I finished off my house renovations yesterday getting electrocuted and stepping on a hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see a little extra twitching this morning, it's either a move of the Holy Spirit <laughs> Or the electricity is still kind of flowing through my left arm a little bit where I got electrocuted yesterday. So, uh, yeah, so it was pretty funny, actually. My hand's still a little numb. But, uh, yeah, it's again, it's great to be back here with all of you this morning. Uh, one of the things I love about the city of Ottawa uh, at this time of year, not only is it that the weather is just amazing and it's a great time to be outside, but we live in a very transient city. We live in a city where a lot of people come and go. And this is a time of year when a lot of people start showing up and our church. Every year, consistently, for the 12 years that I've been here, this time of year, we start getting to meet a whole lot of new people who are moving to the neighborhood, checking us out online, coming to see us in the building. So if that's you today, I want to just really welcome you to Greenbelt Church this morning. I hope you are blessed by your time together here. And you regular people of Greenbelt, if you're seeing faces that you don't know, it might not be because of the pandemic. They may have just moved here. So say hi to them after the service. That would be a great way to make people feel welcome. So we are continuing a summer series. We are going through the book of Isaiah, through the entire book. We're not going through it verse by verse, but we're pulling out a lot of the themes uh, as we wrap up the summer, uh, because Isaiah is an incredibly powerful book when it comes to, one, learning about the character and the nature of God, but also about learning about our relationship that we are to have with this God as his people, as his children. So today we're going to look at a very familiar passage from Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 29. And to help just kind of set the theme of this familiar passage, I want to just kind of ask a couple of questions like I normally do to set the the pace here a little bit. But um, those of you... Maybe just show hands. Those of you who are married or in a relationship or have ever been in a relationship before, just kind of raise your hands. Okay, it's pretty much all the adults have been in some form of relationship with some other you know person at some point. Now, one of the things that I find fascinating about relationships, and one of the things I find really fascinating about marriage, is um, <laughs> learning to figure out what the other person likes. Have any of you ever struggled with that? You know, where you're sitting and no hands are going up, so that's just me. Or the hands not going up because you got in trouble because you didn't know what the person liked, and they're still sitting beside you and you're still paying for it 25 years later. Okay, I'm not paying for this 25 years later, but some days it feels like it, because this story comes up a lot in my relationship with Danielle. Our very first Valentine's Day. As husband and wife. And Danielle's like, oh, no. Okay. I, I like gifts. I don't like to give gifts. I like to get gifts. That's my love language. Okay. But I made a really big effort on my first Valentine's Day as a married man to buy my wife an amazing gift that she will love. Now, Danielle at the time was studying. She was still in school. She was studying special care counseling. If you know Danielle, she has a huge heart to bless other people and to care for other people. So every time we would always go to chapters, big giant bookstore for date night. I'm a nerd. I like books. That's date night in my in my book. Okay. And so we'd go to chapters. She's like, oh, I wish I had that book. Oh, I wish I had that book. Oh, I wish I had that book. And, and I would make this mental note of all these books that she wished she had. Now, I love books. Books is a great gift. So on that first Valentine's Day morning, I buy Danielle this beautiful wicker basket, and I fill it with self-help books. Now, all the men are going, what's the problem? All the women are like, Pastor Kevin, you stink. You're a horrible human being. Okay? It's like, obviously that Valentine's Day did not go well. It did not go according to my plan at all. Okay. Now this was just, again, a funny story to kind of set the theme. You and I, we wrestle with understanding what pleases other people. And we today are now living in a culture that is all about pleasing the self. That all of my wants, all of my desires, everything about my needs, my pleasure must be met. And so much tension is happening in our culture today because what I want to please me is conflicting with what someone else wants to please them, and then we're bashing up against each other. And we as the church are not immune to this of bashing into one another when it comes to receiving what we like in order to be pleased, in order to feel loved, right? And what's fascinating about the book of Isaiah is that as we learn about God, as we learn about the character of God, we actually learn what God loves and how God feels love from his people. But in our human nature, we prefer what we like, so that we feel loved, that we get what we want, that our pleasures are met, that our desires are met, at the expense of what God loves. And so that's exactly what I want us to look at today, as we look at Isaiah chapter 29. Because you and I, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you would say you are a follower of God, that you've put your faith in Jesus to pay for your sins, that you have experienced kind of this goodness of God, the presence of God in your life, you and I should be way more concerned about making sure that we're actually living lives that please God. That we're doing the things that actually make God feel like we love Him. It's easy to say, I love you, God. Very easy to say that. But you and I could be just filling up a basket full of self-help books and God's going, I don't want this. This isn't the goal. So just in a way of summary, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Isaiah and who Isaiah is, Isaiah is a prophet in uh, ancient Israel. And uh, so you find this in the Old Testament and Isaiah's ministry spanned uh, the reign of four kings um, in the region called Judah. Now, what happened in Israel after the reign of King Solomon is they split. (laughs) The people of God not getting along with each other and splitting. And they actually split into two completely different nations. You had Israel and Judah. So, Isaiah was doing his ministry. He ministered to four kings of Judah around the 8th century BC. And uh, little is known about his actual life. We don't know a lot about him. We do get the sense that he was a husband and a father from a few verses in this book. And um, and so this ministry that he did was over a period of about 60 years. And his theme to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah, to these kings, was constantly a message of God's mercy and God's justice, and that God's salvation is available to humanity. In fact, Isaiah is one of the most commonly cited books in your New Testament. because There are so many great verses in there about God's mercy, and God's justice, and God's salvation. And so let's look here again, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 29, and let's talk about pleasing God. And so I'm going to be reading. I'm going to start reading down in verse 13. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along. If you want to use the YouVersion Bible app, you can use that as well. And if you are with us here today and you do not own a Bible, I'd love to give you one as a free gift today. Just on your way out, just let the ushers know in the back you'd like a free Bible. Said Pastor Kevin said it's okay, and you can leave here with a free Bible. Or if you're joining us online, send me an email, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we'll email you a physical Bible if you'd like to have one. So Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. So the Lord says, the people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. What uh, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish. The mockers will disappear. And all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those uh, who with a word make someone out to be guilty, who ensnare the defender in court and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice. So here, just in these few verses here, we get, again, this sense of this big theme that we see all throughout the book of Isaiah, of God's mercy, of God's justice. End of God's salvation. Now, the very beginning of chapter 29 uh, starts with um kind of a word that's not very fun. It's the word woe. Now, it's not woe as in you're riding a horse and you go, whoa, and you're trying to get this horse to stop. This is a woe to you. This is a, a warning word. It's that there's something about the way that you, people of God, people of Judah, are living your lives, that God has got to give you a warning word. And the warning word is woe. Woe to you, <laughs> And then it says here, this, woe to you, Ariel, Ariel. Now, who is Ariel? Is this the little mermaid from the Disney cartoon? Who is this Ariel? Well, Ariel here is actually a poetic way to say Jerusalem. Okay, it's using Hebrew poetry here. And so the word might mean lion of God, uh, since in Hebrew, um, Ari means lion and El means God. So Ari, El, so it could be lion of God. But we see that this is the city where David settled. This is King David. This is the city that he settled. And so this prophet Isaiah is speaking this woe to the city. He's not just saying this to an individual. He's not just saying it to one little local church. He's saying it to the entirety of the people of God. To so remember, Jerusalem plays a very, very important place in the people of Israel's lives. It is the center of their relationship with God. Because it is where they go to worship. It is where the temple resides. It's where the full presence of the glory of God dwells among men in the holy of holies within the temple. Now, you and I as modern day Christians, we don't go to a temple in order to come into the presence of God. You don't come to this building on a Sunday morning hoping, well, maybe I do hope you come here hoping to come into the presence of God. But this is not the dwelling place of the presence of God. See, as followers of Jesus, the Bible teaches us that when you turn from your sin and you accept forgiveness for your sins, that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you become the temple of God. The full presence and the glory of God is not in a building anymore. It's now in a people. So... That's a big difference between when we study the Old Testament and study the New Testament. So often we study the Old Testament and we say, well, we've got to do what they did because we've got to make sure God is happy. We've got to make people feel guilty that they're not coming back to the church building. We've got to you know, shame people and make people feel like garbage because they're not showing up to listen to me preach on a Sunday morning in person. No, you don't come to the building because that's where the presence of God is. You come to the building because you are bringing the presence of God here. If you ain't here, the building is a building. Okay? You bring the presence of God here. And when all of us gather together and bring that presence of God together, God shows up. OK, so don't take this as a thing, a woe to the because they're not going to the temple. So it's just a, that's just an important side track here. OK, so here we got this these woes that are happening in this chapter twenty nine. And um, one of the things I love, we see this picture of God moving like in verses six to seven in chapter 29, it says these words here, it says, the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with windstorm and tempest and flames of devouring fire. (laughs) Then, the hordes of all the nations that fight against Ariel, so the people that are standing against the people of God, the way the people of God are living, out their faith, (laughs) that they're going to be destroyed, (laughs) okay, because God's, Earthquake and thunder and and his tempest and his windstorms and his flames show up. Right? This is a common theme, again, if you're not familiar with the old testament, that God showed up this way a lot. That it's a visible, a visible representation of God's power. Now, when we are dealing with earthquakes and floods and flames and everything like that in the world that we live in today, is that God's power? Maybe not. It could be there was just a lightning bolt that hit a forest and it was really dry. See, sometimes again, we're, we're quick to try to take Old Testament judgment and put it onto modern day Christians or the church of today. And again, that's one of those things where you can't easily make that kind of a leap to say, well, God judged this way back in the Old Testament, so he must be judging this way today. Because the New Testament says that God's judgment is fully satisfied. And has been fully satisfied, not because he's sending flames and lightning and earthquakes, but because he sent his one and only son to die. And that God is pleased when people turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. And so those are just a couple of sidebars. Just I wanted to geek out and nerd out a little bit and as we study the Bible together a little bit today. But now let's focus on you know, what we read here about pleasing God. Again, we are called children of God. The Bible calls you God's children, that you have been adopted into his family. And you can go on Father's Day and bring your father a gift that he's going to go, Oh, I can't believe my kid brought me this. Or we can actually bring the things to God that pleases God. So the big idea that I want us to focus on for the remainder of our time is this idea that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we should be focusing on pleasing God, not ourselves. We should be focused on pleasing God, not ourselves. And this is a theme we see here in Isaiah 29, and it's the direct teachings of Jesus. When Jesus said to seek first God's kingdom, then everything else will be given to you. That's what Jesus was telling people, was worry about pleasing God. And then the things that you want in your life will get taken care of. But when you and I are so obsessed with just pleasing ourselves, we could live lives that we might be very, very happy but then we actually find ourselves very, very distant from our loving Heavenly Father. So let's look at these three things here that we could see from Isaiah 29 on how do we focus on pleasing God? How do we you know, make sure that our lives are focused on pleasing God and not just pleasing ourselves? The first is very obvious because it comes here from verse 13 when it says, These people come near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. See, we have to take worship very seriously because the purpose of worship is to please God. See, the purpose of worship is never, ever, ever supposed to be about pleasing us. Worship is about pleasing God. Uh, This might not come as a surprise to you, but every single religion on the planet has some form of worship. There's some style, there's some rules, there's some guidelines that tell these different religions on how worship should be done. And what's very easy in worship is to create what Isaiah says here human rules that you have been taught. Just this past week, I was at a family funeral, and I appreciate those of you who were praying for me and my family as we traveled to go to this funeral. And and I've shared before, my background is I was a French Canadian, Roman Catholic growing up. I went to a Catholic school growing up. My teachers were nuns growing up. I was the last generation to still get the ruler. How many of you got the ruler? Growing up in school, yeah, a few hands, a few hands. Okay, there's my people where you had to put your hand on a desk and the nun would just whack you with a ruler. And we used to get so, we would laugh at her because she was about this tall. And we'd like, hit me again, sister, I could take it. Okay, that's the way I grew up. But I was at this funeral for this for my aunt who had passed away. And I remembered everything, every word to repeat after the priest, every time to sit, every time to stand, every single action of your hands, a little this, a little this, a little this, a little this. I remembered all of it. Ask me what any of it means. Clueless. Clueless. I have no clue what any of that stuff means. Like, is it drawing me closer to God? No. No. Why not? Because I'm just worried I'm 51 years old and I'm looking over my shoulder to see if the nun's going to whack me because I did it wrong again, okay? Or if it's because I'm getting a little too fidgety and I can't sit still. You see, in every faith tradition, including ours, we create human rules. What do you wear to church on Sunday? Is the pastor really supposed to be wearing jeans and a t-shirt? Shouldn't he be in a tie? How many of you, the fact that I don't wear a tie on Sunday bothers you? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have family members who can't come here because I'm not in a tie. I have other family members who can't come here because I'm not in a dress. <laughs> okay, I don't do dresses. I don't wear robes. Okay, but we create human Traditions and we drive our children out of our churches over them. We do and we have. And we need to be so mindful of this that worship is not about our preference. It's okay to have a preference of worship. It's okay to like a certain style of music. It's okay to like a certain preaching style, all of those things. But every single follower of Jesus, I should be able to pluck you out of this building and I should be able to send you with Paul to Uganda and drop you in Paul's church in Uganda and it should not impact your worship in any way whatsoever. Because it's not about you. It's about the heart of God. That we show up in a posture of worship where it is about, God, I just want to be with you. It's not about the form, sacrifices. It's not about the chants. It's not about the prayers. It's not about the lights. It's not about the music. It's not about the instrument. It's about our heart of following God. And that is why God says, whoa. the people of Judah because they loved their style of worship where their methods and their traditions had become so important to them that the people who needed God the most were the people who were being kept at arm's length from the people of Israel. It's, we want to know about your God and the, the people of Israel are like, nope, the relationship with God is just for God's chosen people. It's just for us. You're a Gentile, you're a Greek, you're Roman, you're from some other country, you're from Asia Minor, you're from all these places. You're not welcome here. Which is exactly opposed to why God chose them to be his his people. God flat out said, through my relationship with you, you will be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations. That's the call. And they said, nope, we're going to huddle. We're going to do things our way. And we're going to keep all those people out. And God, what does he have to do? He has to say, "Woe to you. Your hearts are far from me. Right? So when it comes to a life that pleases God, we've got to make sure that our worship pleases God. Jesus taught about this. He talks about this in John chapter 4 when he meets this woman at a well. And they're kind of having this conversation about adultery, a number of husbands that this woman has and things like that. And then she's like, eh, I don't want to talk about my personal life. Let's talk about worship instead because worship never causes any problems among people of God when we talk about worship. All <laughs> right. And so they changed the subject, and then Jesus says these words in John uh, chapter 4, verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That verse keeps me up at night. Am I the type of guy that God seeks? (laughs) Is my home As we worship God in our home, the type of home that God seeks. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my neighbors. The Bible says everything that we do is an act of worship. And God is looking for true worship. He seeks it out. He shows up. Does he show up here? Because we come with this heart where it's about God. So that's the first thing. So if we want to be living lives that pleasing God, we've got to make sure that our worship pleases God. The other thing that we we can look at here from the text in Isaiah 29 is dealing with secret lives. Dealing with secret lives. Again, one of the other woes here is in verse 15. It says, Woe to those who go to great depth to hide their plans from the Lord who do their work in darkness and think who will see us who will know you see the people here the people of Judah were attacked by the Assyrians and the Assyrians kind of just laid waste to everything because the people were far from God and the people of Judah came up with a plan not to turn back to God or to even seek God's will God what should we do with the Assyrians taking over Instead, what they did is they started to reach out to the Egyptians and try to make a plan with the Egyptians to overthrow the Assyrians. They take one enemy that's beaten them and said, well, now let's make plans with another former enemy. Remember Egypt? Kind of they were enslaved by them for a long time. <laughs> let's go back to our former slave masters and work a deal out with them to take over our new enemy. And God's like, "Um, hello, I'm right here. That's Kevin paraphrasing what God says here. Okay, I'm right here. I see what you're doing. Why are you doing something that's taking you even further away from me? (laughs) That's, again, not just an Old Testament way to live. We can easily live this way as modern-day Christians in this world that we live in. It is very easy to live a secret life. See, If you have more than 15 people in a church, and we do, if you have more than 15 people in a church, it is impossible for me to know everything about you. It's not possible, right? In fact, it's very easy with just five people to live a life in such a way that nobody knows what's really going on in here. That nobody knows your secret plans. Nobody knows where your thoughts really are. And what pleases God is is a life that is open to him. He already knows it. He already knows it. Like This is why we say that one of our values as a church is to be real. To be real before God and to be real before one another. He already knows it. And it's one of our values because it pleases God. When the church lives that way. When the people of God live this way. Right? When the 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 elders of Israel they were they're making these secret plans and we can see in other places in the Old Testament the secret life is depicted as conducting sinful business in the dark. And and that's not the life that we're supposed to be living here. Right, This is like Jesus even warns people about pe- like following religious leaders who lo- whose lives are secret, whose lives are kind of making plans in the dark in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, so many thousands of people had gathered and they were stepping on each other. So Jesus spoke first to his followers, then all these thousands of people. He said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisee because they're hypocrites. Everything that is hidden will be shown, And everything that is secret will be made known. (laughs) Everything that is secret will be made known. This is why I think the Apostle Paul, he he lives this. Like he knew the Old Testament. He knew God is not pleased with secret lives. And that's why the Apostle Paul, with all confidence, could say, follow my example as I'm following Christ. Because his life was on display. He had no secrets. (laughs) When he was hurting, he confessed it. When he was happy, everyone rejoiced together. Right? That's the type of people that we're called to be. It pleases God when we step out of the darkness of our secrets. Share them with God. Share them with the body of Christ. It doesn't mean you have to come on Sunday morning and share it with everybody in this room. But this is why we promote life groups. And we say these are why these life groups are so crucial. Because I can't know everybody But we firmly believe as a church, everybody needs to be known. Everybody needs to be known. It's an important part of your relationship with God. So our groups are going to be starting up again in a few weeks. So watch our our weekly update to make sure that you sign up for a life group if you're not already uh, in one or or not planning to be in one. Look for that because it's important. So worship is important. Dealing with our secret lives is important. And then finally, quickly is um, living a life that pleases God means that you and I are being shaped by God. You and I are being shaped by God. Right? In verse 16, it talks about the potter and the clay. And we read about this, this metaphor of God and his people in other places in the Bible as well. And it says here, so you turn things upside down as if the potter um, were thought to be like the clay. And what is formed... Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you didn't make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing, right? I love this idea of you turn things upside down. Sometimes my life feels that way. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like I've got all these amazing plans for my life and everything is going exactly the way I want it. And I'm happy with how the pot is looking. And then sometimes it just feels like God says, yeah, no, and he just takes it and he flips it and he flops it back on the spinning wheel. He says, I'm, Kev, I'm going to just spin you around a little bit more. Yeah, Kev, I know you think you got this ministry thing all figured out and you think, you know, you're really smart and you, you think you're a really good leader. Yeah, let me just spin you around a little bit more. Just to kind of remind you that you have no clue. <laughs> Anyone else? Is that just my job or is that your job too? Okay, that's just life. <laughs> Okay, And you and I have got to live lives where we could get so bent out of shape and I don't like this and this isn't making me happy and this is hurting my feelings and I need a safe space now to go talk about this and cry quietly in a corner somewhere. Or I could be shaped by this. I could see this as a learning opportunity. I can see this as an opportunity to draw closer to my father who knows what he's doing when I don't. that I can turn to him and trust him in the spinning and in the shaping, that he is going to create a, a Kevin that is the Kevin he wants, not the Kevin I want. Right? So we're being shaped by God. And again, we see this theme in the New Testament as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, the purpose of being children of God is living lives that are focused on pleasing God, not ourselves. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, well, am I supposed to please God in order to earn God's love? And I meet a lot of people who sadly live their lives thinking that's the way it works. That when you do make a mistake, and we all do, when you do screw up, and we all do, when you do sin, and we all do, God hates me, God's judging me, God's punishing me. And the reality is that's not true. It's not true. Are there consequences? to bad choices? Are there consequences to bad living? Are there consequences to sin? Yes. But that's just consequences. It's not wrath and judgment. Because God loves you. And God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And the Bible says that when you turn from the sin that is pulling at your heart and you turn from that and you turn your affections back to God and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart, that God rose him from the dead. That's what it takes to come into a relationship with God, to become a child of God. And the Bible teaches us once you do that, you can never lose that ever, ever ever. Because you're his. And you have this father who loves you. So the life that we go about living to please him is not to earn God's love. The life that you and I live is empowered by God's love. As God makes his dwelling place in us, as we learn, as we grow, as we get corrected, as we get built up, as we get encouraged, Our lives start being transformed not to please God for his love, but out of his love we're changed. And maybe some of you today, like you've, You're sitting here going, I've never heard this before. This Jesus like this, that he would die for me and that it's love. I've never heard that before. Maybe you were raised like me and it was all rules, 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 man-made traditions and rules. I spent 26 years having no clue about God's love. I thought God hated me for 26 years. (laughs) And then I learned God loves me (laughs) because he sent his one and only son to die for me. And right where you are, whether online or here in this room, you can welcome in that love into your life just by praying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life. Make your love real in my life. If you pray that way today, a little pop-up shows up at Greenbelt Online. Please click that. Let us know if you prayed that way for the first time in here. Come tell me after the service. I'd love to celebrate with you. But that is the salvation that God promises even way back in Isaiah that that this promised salvation is available to people we can read about this in you know down I read some of it in verse 22 where it says therefore this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to his descent to the descendants of Jacob no longer will Jacob be ashamed that's no longer will the people of God be ashamed if you accept Jesus there's no you're no longer ashamed No longer will their faces grow pale. No longer will you be sick. You're healed. They will see them among their children, the work of their hands. They will keep their holy name. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob, and I will stand in awe of the God of Israel. That's the posture we take because of God's amazing salvation. So as we step into kind of a season, you know, it gets very busy this time of year, school starting, ministry starting, all of these things starting. Let's make sure that we're still focused on what pleases God. As men, women, boys and girls, let's make sure that that's the priority of our lives. That we're living lives to please God. That we'll be be doing worship that pleases God. We'll be dealing with secret lives in order to please God. And we'll be shaped by God in order to please him. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you and I thank you for your amazing love. Love that was freely given, love that was undeserved, love that cannot be lost or taken away by the schemes of our spiritual enemy or the schemes of man. So Father God, I pray for each and every one of us here today that you would build in us through your spirit in us, lives that please you. If in any of these areas, whether it's in worship or in secret lives or being, you know, just angry when life throws us a curveball, Father God, I pray that you would forgive us for those attitudes. And God, just help us to just love you more. Help us to love one another more. And help us to be, again, men, women, boys and girls that are pleasing you with how we live our lives. Not to earn your love, but we would live those lives out of the power of the love you've already shown us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.